Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're so glad that you're with us on a Labor Day weekend. Um, lots of people are at the beach this weekend. So uh, uh, we are going to just jump right in and worship. My name is Karen. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we love that you are here. We love to worship on Jesus and to make him great. And this morning, we choose to lift him bigger than any circumstance that we face this morning. And our eyes are fixed on him and his purpose and his plans for us are good. They are full of hope and they are full of a future. So will you stand with me this morning as we worship? Heavenly Father, we just come right now. And Lord, we're so thankful that Holy Spirit never leaves us. Uh, Lord, that you said that you have given your spirit, Lord, to live inside of us. The Holy Spirit is not a visitation of come and go anymore like in the Old Testament, but Lord, he lives and abides and dwells and lives in us. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us. This morning, would you make Jesus great in our eyes? Would you reveal all truth concerning Jesus? Because we know that Jesus, you are the one who reveals the Father. Thank you, Lord, this morning. We worship you and we honor you. Would you dwell and move among us and love on your beautiful, beautiful bride this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
Over every enemy, 
breakthrough church Father, we just worship you this morning. Thank you, Lord, that there was a full and complete work on the cross, Jesus. There was nothing lacking and nothing missing, Lord, in what you accomplished, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your power, Lord, your blood is enough to break every stronghold, Lord. We worship you this morning and we honor you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence among us, Lord. God, we glorify you and we worship you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. If you are new with us this morning, we would love to get to know you. Um, there, You can do a connection card at dothancf.com. And um, just click on new here. We'd love to get to know you, know a little bit about your story. You can find out a little bit about ours as well. We'd love to um, just... Uh, get to know you a little bit more, and um, and uh, I know this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but um, September 15th, I believe it is, we are doing starting our membership classes, and it's where you can find out a little bit about who are we, 
where are we going, what's the vision and the future of our church, how to be a member, what does that look like, and um, what you can expect from leaders and what is expected from you as a member because we're in this thing together. So um, we've also um, started our community groups. They launched last week. You can go online, find out all the information, the times that we're doing that. We are doing gifts of the Spirit, and um, it's the manifestation gifts. Who is excited about the classes and the time that you've already been in? I was fixing to say, I need more of a response than that because this is about how God communicates and how he speaks through us to the world around us. So God is uh, the communicator. He started in the beginning with communicating, and he has not stopped talking. So um, every living thing communicates, and our kids are going to be actually doing that as well this morning. They're going to be learning how God communicates. But um, giving is just online, dothancf.com, or if you're in person, you want to give in the box up front, you can do that. And we just want to dismiss our kids and our youth, And um, Pastor Dave will be right back with a message in just a minute. All right. Good morning, everybody. We are going to be finishing a series we started six weeks ago. So we've been doing this for a little while. Uh, We like to preach in series a lot at at DCF uh, for a couple reasons. One of the main reasons is we get to build up the hill towards a culture of something that Scripture teaches us, something kingdom, that maybe the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, that's intriguing. I, I think that's... That's interesting. And, you know, a couple times into it, you hear things about a topic or about a concept in, in the kingdom. And at some point, you begin to, your faith begins to rise and you begin to think, you know, there might be something to this. And you begin to mentally assent to it. <laughs> but eventually what we're asked after is not just, you know, believing something with your brain, but biblical believing is to take action on the thing that you believe. And that's, that's kind of why we do series. And so this series is no different um, we talked first, uh, launched it with a, the scripture that talks about if you seek the kingdom, everything else you need, all the, all the food, all the basics of life, all of those things get added to you. But if you chase after the things, you, you miss the things, even if you get them, you still don't get them, <laughs> and you also miss the kingdom. And so we've been talking into that in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, last week, we talked, interestingly enough, about money, which the church doesn't do enough, I don't think. Um, so often people are like, I hate it when the church talks about money, but, but you know, think about the last time the church talked about money. Um, if we get it wrong, like we get it unscriptural, then talking about money in church is, is a little bit challenging because it, it turns into um, something you ought to do and you have to do and you better do it. If you don't, the devourer is going to come. And it goes into this whole thing about if, if we're not careful, we paint totally the wrong picture about who God is as provider. And so we, we launched last week with the concept of that God reveals himself in the very beginning as, as the provider, as the one who provides. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh is the provider. He's the one who, who, he is the provision, not he brings the provision, that's true too, but he actually is the provision. And in some ways, what I'm talking about today is, is similar. Um, I'm talking about uh, today, rest. That's kind of the name of this particular message. But how, I, how I'm going after it in the first things first mindset is about covenant. Like if, if we go back and we start at the beginning of scripture and you start seeing God saying, hey, I want to agree with you on something. And there were different kinds of covenants, you know, the, uh, the covenant with Adam, the covenant with uh, Abraham, 
covenant with Moses, David's covenant, the new covenant. So we go into all these different covenants and covenants are just an agreement between two people. There were different kinds of covenants. There were unconditional and conditional covenants. There were things where the two of you are going to get together and one of you has to bring something, the other has to bring something and together that makes the covenant. And then there were unconditional covenants like the one with Abraham and like the new covenant that were, that were you don't have to bring anything. <laughs> which is which is like, that seems unfair on God's part. Like he has to provide everything and I don't bring anything. Well, you bring you. And that's kind of what God's been after the whole time. So that's, that's kind of what we're gonna talk a little bit about today. But I don't know about you. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, but uh, I started learning about things in my early 20s about covenants and about, you know, biblical truths and, and, and uh, Hebrew history. I never thought I'd study the history of another nation. I, I love history, but I always thought, you know, I'd be more focused on history in the United States. Um, but I ended up studying a whole lot of church history, a whole lot of uh, ancient archaeology and uh, all those different things. And there was always the challenges with these covenants. It's like, which one is still valid? Are they all still valid? Did, did, have some of them gone away? You know, uh, how, do, how, how do covenants work? What's my part in this? What's the purpose for the covenants? Um, what are the dangers if you get these covenants wrong? Like if, you, if you're living in one covenant, but you're actually supposed to be in another, another covenant, you know, what are, the, what are the implications of that? Like if, you, if you're living, if you're supposed to be living in the new covenant, which, which we all believe as believers that that's what we're supposed to be doing, what happens if you, you know, kind of live in the old covenant a little bit? I mean, how, how bad can it actually be? And so we're gonna talk about that as well. Um, my story is after I became a believer, uh, hearing the gospel, the, you know, the Bible calls it the almost too good to be true news, right? It's like, well, that's, that's, that can't be right, right? <laughs> Seems like I'm the beneficiary of all of this. You know, it's like, that can't possibly be right that God loves me that much, that Jesus died for me. And, you go, and I go through this. And at some point, I believed the gospel. I believed that God was just that good. And when I did, something happened in me. There was a transformation. We're going to get in this in a minute. But something occurred in me. There was a change of heart, a change of my nature. There was something that happened on the internal where all the other times, you know, growing up, I was trying to do the right thing, which is without really understanding, I was trying to live according to the law, the Old Testament, you know, the, the thou shalts and the thou shouldst. And, and this is what happens if, if you, you know, do something you shouldn't do or don't do something you should do, right? And so I was trying to live that, just doing the right thing. That was my version of it as a, you know, as a young man in the South. But I, I, I kind of developed after I got saved, I thought everything was going to be great, like this is incredible. And I, and I started moving away from living out of the covenant that God had revealed to me in Jesus and began to fall into living out of the old covenant. And so, we're, you know, again, we've talked about this numerous times at our church. We've done a whole series on covenants and the contrast between the two and why it's so important for us to understand this and why we should study, right, to understand this. But my, my experience was, um, the only way I can ex describe it is, as a believer, I had this low-grade fever of guilt, shame, and condemnation that just never went away. Um, I remember when I, uh, I got COVID the first time. I'm, this, I know you guys never had this problem, but I got COVID. <laughs> and, and I remember, like, how drained I felt. Like, I, and nothing I could do. I mean, it seems like nothing. I'm like, how long is this going to last where I just get some energy back and actually feel like doing something? So, Everything was just a struggle. I mean, to get up and, I mean, everything was, a, thinking was a struggle, right? And, and so there was this, in so many ways, this is where I had kind of ended up as a believer. I was living in this low-grade fever of guilt, shame, and condemnation. So I, when I did things well, 
I was super excited, and I reminded the Lord about how excited he ought to be because look how amazing I am. And then I would, you know, I'd fall into sin, and then I would, I would, I don't want to talk to God because he's, you know, he's turned his face away from me anyway, and so I, this is my mindset. And so, like, now I'm down in the, you know, in the mud and, and, and all that, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm just a worm. I'm no good. I'm like, all the good things God did, did for me and loves me, and I'm, and I'm like this. And, oh, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Mostly I'm just a sinner. <laughs> right? That's how I was thinking. And so it was this life of ups and downs and this constant up and down. And you guys have heard me tell this story, most of you. And, and I would I'd do well, and I would be up here. I would do poorly, and I would do here. And the line of salvation, you know, I was never quite clear on, the, on where I was in terms of salvation. Like, like, you know, one day I'm a, I'm a Calvinist, one day I'm an Arminian, you know, if you know anything about theology, it's like, you know, I, I can never lose my salvation because, you know, salvation is so amazing. And then I'm like, well, I don't, I'm pretty, I mean, that was pretty bad. So maybe I dipped below the line and came right back up, you know, so uh, there was a flash of I'm going to hell kind of, right? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, um, but for me, that was just constant. So all this trying to grow, trying to lean into God, trying to uh, walk in his promises, and I would just, it seemed like it just never, never came through. In relationships, you know, it's like I've been shown grace, I ought to show grace to others, but I would find myself lacking so often. And, and I was just at, at a conundrum where I was just like, well, I'll just hope for the best, <laughs> right? And, uh, and part of the reason why is I, I was being sold a bill of goods that, that turned out that there was, there was a mixture of law and grace at the same time. Like it wasn't just, hey, here's the gospel and here's how to live out of the gospel. Here's what it means. Let's go after that. It was always, you know, you better shine up. You know, you, you, you know shame on you for the things you've done and, you know, you keep falling into sin. And at some point, you know, maybe God's going to turn his face away from you and he's not going to turn back. So that was that kind of sense of fear of, you know, of just this is not going to end well. But I had a revelation, and uh, the revelation for me was a, a slow kind of movement forward. I began to study and began to hear messages about grace. And so all grace is, is just, the, Paul calls it the gospel of grace. Like, it's just the gospel, but it's just, you know, you got saved. We think, I got saved by the gospel, and now I have to live some other way. I got to live according to the Bible, right? But the whole Bible is telling you the gospel. Everything is, is focusing in on who Jesus is. If you go read Hebrews, Hebrews is, an, and we're going to spend a lot of time this morning in the book of Hebrews. If you go after Hebrews and you read that, it, it talks so much. It, as a matter of fact, the longest Old Testament verse quoted in the New Testament is in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8. And it's quoting Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is talking about this new covenant that's, that's coming. He said the old covenant, there was an old covenant, and then there's this new covenant that when it comes, he's going to write his laws, not on stone from the outside. He's going to write his laws on our hearts and on our minds. And I, if, I, if, if I was honest, that's what I felt when I first gave my life to Jesus. Something happened on the inside. I'd been trying to live externally to, to do right, and it just wasn't working. I didn't have the power to do it. But something, when that, that change happened on the inside of me when I gave my life to Christ, there was a power shift that now enabled me, whether I'd believed it before completely or not, enabled me to live according to the gospel, Right? And so what I want to talk about today is just a little bit of a contrast and a little bit of, of a difference in, um, in the old and the new covenant because they, they operate by different rules. And so the easiest way to understand the fundamental difference of, of the law and, the, and, and grace or the old covenant and the new is the old one was it was written on stone and it was an outward law with no changed heart. And so in, in, in essence, God was saying, 
hey, you, you keep claiming that you're my people, but you keep living as if you're not, right? So he says, I'm, I'm going to give you the standard, and, and you, you can live up to it or not live up to it. If you do well, it'll go well with you. If you do well, you get all the blessings. If you break the law, you get all the cursings, right, all the curse. And so on the day that the law is presented, the Bible says it, mo- I think this uh, it's in uh, Exodus and I think in Deuteronomy as well, but on the day that the law is given, um, the Bible says that he gives the law, the positive, the negative, you know, the, do this and you'll be blessed, do, do this and, and, you know, don't do this and you'll be cursed. And then there was a statement that's very easy to overlook that the Israelites in unison all said, we will do everything that is written here. We're, we got this. <laughs> and, then, and if you look at it, there's, this, there's such a tinge of arrogance and pride and, you know, and, and Lord, you're awesome, but, you know, actually, we're your people, so obviously we're awesome too, and we can do this. And that was literally the point of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was to show you, you can't do this, not in your own strength. And, and you, had to, you had to fall to your own self-sufficiency to be able to see your need for someone or something else, right? And so then the New Covenant comes along, and it's written in our hearts and in our minds, and it becomes because the nature has changed me from the inside out. There's an internal drive based on an intimate relationship with God that my sins are no longer a problem. They're no longer in the way of my relationship with God. See, before, your sin was always there. Every sacrifice you made in the Old Covenant, every animal you sacrificed, everything you did was always about there's sin in the way, there's sin. You've done something wrong. You can't live up to the standard. And the new covenant comes and says, Jesus says on, on the day he's, he's dying on the cross, he says, it is finished. And by that, he meant everything that was required of you to come into a relationship with God has now been accomplished by him on the cross. He lived a perfect life, never sinned once. And the, then because of that became the holy, spotless lamb, the sacrifice that was given so that you could be free from your sin and have a relationship with God. And that's the part we, we forget, that the whole intent behind all of this was always, always, God longs to have a relationship with you, but your sin is in the way. And so what is the cross? What, is, what Jesus did, what does it do? It just says, the Father longs to be in relationship with you. You can't do it in your own strength, so stop trying that foolishness. Hopefully you figured that out now. And fall upon the mercy of a Savior who paid a price you could not pay, Right? And he gave you righteousness that you didn't deserve, took your sin, which you did deserve. But because of that great exchange, now you can stand in the presence of God without sin. Your sin has not been covered. It's been washed completely away. That, as we like to say in theological terms, is a big stinking deal. <laughs> right? So, so what does that look like? Purposes was different. We're going to talk about the fact that there were rules for the Old Covenant that weren't the same for the New. So the purpose was, again, to show God's holiness. This is the Old Covenant. Show His holiness, His perfection, to prove we could never live up to the standard in our own strength. The whole idea was, we think we're, we, we, arrogantly we think we have this, and we don't. No matter how amazing you are, you don't. And then the New Covenant purpose was to fulfill the perfection that was required for His holiness. And when you see that, that Jesus was willing to do what was necessary so you could be back in relationship with your Father, it began to invite us to receive the gift of, of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. That's what the New Covenant is all about. So different rules. 
So the first one is simple. It's different sacrifices. In the Old Covenant, there were all kinds of different sacrifices and offerings. And I won't go into super detail, but you can go study this and see it. Uh, Guilt offerings, trespass offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, fellowship offerings, festival offerings. Basically, you had to bring something commensurate with the sin that you had committed. So as an example, you know, maybe Alan brings a turtle dove for his sin and, you know, and I, I have to bring a moose because it's, you know, it's a really, everybody's like, hey, dear God, what, were, what have you been doing, right? <laughs> and so when you came to the temple, based on what animal you brought to the temple, everybody's like, mm, you know what Dave, I know what he's been doing, right? And so in some ways, it was all external, right? And so these offerings were you had to take them to the priest, and even in the offering, the offering couldn't be a halfway offering. It had to be perfect. It had to be, if it was a lamb, it had to be spotless. There couldn't be any imperfection in it at all. Why? Because you were exchanging the perfect, the, the idea, the perfect blood, because blood has, you know, life has to be given for sin. Sin brings death, and so life has to be given. So you give an animal and a sacrifice, sacrifice or in terms of the, uh, like the, uh, the grain offerings and those kind of different things, offerings from, for, from your first fruits, and all these different symbols and ideas were all designed to remind you that, the, that there was something in the way of your relationship with God. And so you'd come and bring it before the priest, and if the priest approved it and it was perfect, then... Um, it would be offered on your behalf, but it wouldn't take away your sin. It, it would only cover your sin for a season. So not a lot of happy people in, in and around Israel. Israel. They were happy when, you know, they offered the sin, and for a season there was a sense of guiltlessness, right, that the guilt had been taken away, but it never fully went away. So under the new covenant and sacrifices, believers are no longer asked to bring sacrifices for our sins. This is one of my favorites. You know, a subtle way this works is um, you come and you, you know, I don't bring an animal. It's not like I go get a chicken, you know, and bring it to sacrifice. Or what, not that you could sacrifice chickens. I'm just saying I'm Southern, so we would sacrifice it, and then we'd have fellowship and eat it. But, <laughs> but you, you don't do that anymore, right? You don't bring a, a, a sacrifice for your sin, but what you would do is you would bring a sacrifice of sorrow, right? You're like, you know, I screwed up. And, you know, I know better. So I'm at that place now as a believer that I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what's required of me. I know what's right. And I'm, I'm trying really hard to do those things. And I screw up. And then I come to God, and this is my sacrifice. Rather than offering blood, which is required, I offer the sacrifice of deep, deep sorrow. Lord, I am so sorry. So sorry that I did that. I, uh, I, I see why you're angry. Right? And so then you, it works this thing out of how, you know, you, your thought is if, if I can really be broken, if I can really be contrite, because I heard that somewhere when they were preaching, I could be really contrite and broken. Man, God, you would, you would see my sorrow and you would accept me. Right? But all that is is just a replacement sacrifice that, you know, you're still living out of the old covenant. You're not bringing lambs or, or animals anymore or grain offerings. You're just bringing offerings that, that are even less than that. Because there, there's no, no blood involved in this. It's just, I'm really, really sorry this time, Lord. And then, but then you, then you do it again, and you realize, okay, turns out I wasn't as sorry as I thought I was. But Lord, this time, I'm really sorry. So how many times do you do that before somewhere in the back of your mind, your mind begins to tell you the truth, and you're like, I don't think you're as sorry for this as you're saying you're sorry for it. And then you sense God knows that. And so now he's, he, he's known that all along. He's kind of angry. He's turned his face. And, and so now, how do you get fellowship back? Right? That's the way we think. And so we don't bring sacrifices for our sins. Because the sacrifice for our sins was taken care of by once and for all offering 
that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Now, you know that in your brain if you're a believer, like especially if you've been around here for a while, you know that. Um, Jesus was the spotless lamb, so all the other, all the other lambs and all the animals were, were, were symbols of what was coming, the real thing that Jesus became the spotless lamb, accepted by God for all the sin of the world, including yours. All of your sin, but, but not really all of your sin, because you, know, you keep sinning, right? So something's wrong. So, so, but, but now, if we're not careful, instead of bringing the sacrifice that we're supposed to bring, right, um, first of all, recognizing that the sacrifice ultimately has already been brought on our behalf, but then what is it that I bring to God? If it's not a sacrifice for sin, as a, as a new covenant believer, what is it I'm supposed to bring? First Peter 2.5 says, you also as living stones. In other words, you're, <clears throat> you are part of the temple. Each person is a living stone, part of the foundation of what God is building in this world, being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what are those? What are spiritual sacrifices? If you're not sacrificing for your sin, what are you sacrificing? Thanksgiving, praise. Bring the sacrifice of praise into the, into the house of the Lord. Why do, we, why do we do that? Because sometimes we have circumstances that are in front of us that are trying to tell us something about God. And when we bring a sacrifice of praise, and it's not easy to praise God when things aren't going the way we think they are, that sacrifice is not trying to offer something to get from us. It's an opportunity for us to say, God, I'm offering this sacrifice of praise because I believe that you are true when all of my circumstances are telling me something different. It's a powerful sacrifice. A sacrifice of a life that's dedicated to the kingdom and his purposes. Romans 12 says, um, since in view of God's mercy. In other words, you see God's mercy. Something's supposed to happen. Now you see how merciful God is being to you. It becomes easy to offer a sacrifice of obedience and love and kindness to others and ministry to one another, right? Those become sacrifices, yes, because sometimes it's not easy to do. But you're not trying to get something for it. You've gotten something, and because of that, you're offering a sacrifice of love and, and a, a life that's laid down before the king. So there's a couple of scriptures. Hebrews, again, I told you we are going to get there. Um, Hebrews 10, 11, 14. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So these sacrifices, different in the Old and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, you know, blood and, and lambs and all these different offerings that you had to bring, but could never take away your sin. They only covered it. So he's talking about that priesthood and that system of sacrifices. And he said, um, the same sacrifices repeatedly, day after day after day, could never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, listen, one sacrifice for sins forever. That's what Hebrews says. Sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So something has occurred, but something has, has to work itself out in time, right? And so we'll, that's something for another day. But it goes on, it says, from the time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now that's a really interesting phrase. Perfected forever literally means he has completed it. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? It is perfect or it is completed, or the actual words, it is finished. It's the same concept. What Jesus did, he did once for all, 
not, he's not going to offer another sacrifice. There's no need now for Jesus to die again and offer another sacrifice. For your, if you sin after you believe Jesus, and, and he's coming to your life, and you have become a believer, and you have a new heart and a new nature, but the patterns of your sinful old life maybe still are there, and you sin, Jesus doesn't have to come down from heaven, and he even talks about that. He doesn't have to come down from heaven and die on a cross again for your sin. That's not how it works. Why? One sacrifice forever, once for all, completed. Um, that, the, pa- the passage at the end of that, those who are being sanctified, is present continuous tense in the original language, and it might be rendered another way, those who are constantly being sanctified or set aside. So in other words, this process of your sin's paid for once and all, but what if I sin as a believer? Can I sin as a believer? Yes, of course you can. You can do anything you want as a believer. You're free. So don't sin. <laughs> But if we have sin, right, if, if there's sin, we have an advocate with the Father the Bible talks about. So this is a picture of it's been completed, but there's still some stuff working out in your life. And this is the picture where the enemy comes in and well-meaning religious people try to get you fixed when you've already been fixed. <laughs> See how it works? So something occurred in, in a moment that's done and it's completed and it's finished, but there's still something that you're working out. And that part that you're working out needs God's grace in your life so that it can be worked out. Otherwise, you'll keep coming back and go, did that ever really occur? Was I ever changed? And if I wasn't, can I actually be, even be in the presence of God? So you may have a, a mindset that I gave my life to Jesus you know, 20 years ago, but I have never had a relationship with my father. Not because you can't, but because somewhere in your head, you think that you keep having to go back to the beginning and re-sacrifice to continue to have a relationship with the Father because look at what I've done, Lord. And the Lord says to you, um, I'm pretty sure I knew that. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't it dumb when we say stuff like that? Lord, if you only knew what I've done. And the Lord's like, yeah, my bad. Oh, you're horrible. I can't save you. Right? But we do that in our heads. So anyway, different. another one is Hebrews uh, 10, 8. Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. So, so even though the old covenant was there, that was not God's intention. God's heart wasn't, let's sacrifice a bunch of animals. But because of the hardness of men's hearts, he said, I'm going to offer a sacrifice, a sacrificial system to teach you about one day there's going to be one sacrifice for all. But until then, you still think you can do it in your own strength. So here's the old covenant. Good luck with that. Right? So we try and we try and we try. And if we're religious and arrogant, we lie to ourselves to say that we're actually doing it. Because look, I'm offering these sacrifices of deep, deep sorrow, but I'm still operating in an old system. He goes on, he says, um, you didn't desire nor had pleasure in these sacrifices which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. So God, he's quoting Psalms, and he's quoting something from the old, old covenant about the new covenant and what Jesus is going to do. I have come. Jesus is saying, I've come to do your will. The people couldn't, but I can. So I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first so that the second can be established. This original covenant is fading away, the Bible says, a fading glory. It's a glorious thing. The law's not evil. The law's not bad. It's good if it's used appropriately is what the Bible talks about. But he goes on, he says, um, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 20 times. Right? 
once for all. You keep seeing this over and over and over, once for all. Because if you don't get this, you still think there are offerings to be made for your sin. I, I had a, a, a great conversation. This is a side note, but it's worth talking about. I, I preached a, a, a men's fellowship up in, uh, near Lake Eufaula um, a couple months back. And I preached a message about grace and about the gospel and about once for all and all these concepts. And it poured down rain, like literally the whole time I'm preaching. I'm not even kidding. Like we were outside. There was a couple of places you could get underneath. But it was, it was the most distracting time I've ever preached in my entire life. And I've had some distracting times. It was unbelievable. And I was like, it, isn't it amazing what the enemy will try to do to keep people from hearing this truth? And so I talked about that once for all. And so one of the, one of the guys came up to me. He'd been a believer for a long time. And he, he, he had struggled with this, although not much. And, you know, he, he was doing okay. He was like, he, he felt like he was fine. And so he, he asked me the question. He said, well, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but. And, and he said, you know, um, you, know the, you still have to deal with the sin. Because one of the things I talked about was how do you react when you sin? What is it that you do based on this new covenant if you sin after you've been forgiven? I mean, when you sin, does now all the forgiveness that Jesus gave on the cross, is that now nullified and void because you sin? Well, you know, what about willfully sinning? Well, what other way is there to sin? I mean, maybe you can sin by accident, but let's be honest. We're not talking about those, are we? We're talking about you willfully sin. So, so he says, so you're saying we don't have to repent after we've, if we sin as a believer. I said, that's not what I said at all. But, but thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about what I actually did say. So what I said was, first of all, I don't think you understand what repent means. Because repent is a word that means, it's, it's metanoia in the original language. And it, it literally means to take on a new mind, to think differently. You know what repent means for most people? I'm going to offer a sacrifice of sorrow at the altar and cry really hard and feel really bad about the things I've done. And I'm going to get up and I feel like maybe I'm better because I had some relief, but I'm going to go off and continue the same patterns of sin in my life. And there's no help because our leaders so often, at least this was my experience, our leaders weren't telling us how to get out from under that burden. They just said, you know, do better, Dave. And so I'm like, I'm trying, but I'm 21 years old and, I, you know, I have some challenges as a young man, and it's a struggle. And, and they're like, yeah, but if you were a real Christian, right? And that was all I ever got. And it just never, I was never told, how do I live the victorious life in Christ, right? And so this whole concept, do you, what happens when you repent? And so he says, yeah, I think you should repent if you sin. So I said, well, let me ask you a question. This is a great qualifying question to find out about whether you understand the new covenant. What happens if you don't repent? What happens if you don't actively say, Lord, for that sin and that sin and that sin and that sin, I repent? What happens if in the multitude of your sins during the week and you come to repent from them all, you missed a few? What happens then? Does, is all nullified? Because, you know, all the sin has to be paid for, right? But if the sin was paid for once for all, and we're going to get to this when we wrap it up. What happens if you understand the new covenant is everything changes in how you handle patterns of sin after you have become a believer. Because it's about your brain and your mind, not about your heart. Your heart and your nature has been transformed, but your mind has not. So you have to take on a new mind, which is literally what the word repent means. So do you need to repent after your sin? Of course. You need to take on a new mind about why you're sinning, 
about what happened when you sinned. Did you lose God's favor? Did you lose his love? Are there consequences for your actions? Of course. Don't be an idiot. Of course there are consequences for your sin, right? But eternally, did, did you lose your salvation on that, in that moment that you sinned? And the answer, according to the new covenant, is absolutely not. So it goes on. There's a different blood offered in the sacrifice. In the old covenant, the blood of a spotless animals. In the new covenant, the perfect blood of a perfect man, right? It wasn't an animal sacrifice. It was a human sacrifice, which is weird because we don't think of Christianity as a sacrifice where humans are sacrificed. But it turns out pretty much what it's built on, right? <laughs> you guys are like, that messes my head. So here's Hebrews 9.11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So, so Hebrews talks about a, a, a a tabernacle that is in heaven. And if you go back and you study the tabernacle when it's built on earth, God tells Moses, he's talking to Moses and he's talking to David and he's talking to the people who are gonna build these tabernacles and temples. And he said, when you build it, build it exactly like this. Do not deviate at all from what I'm telling you and how you're gonna build the tabernacle or the temple. Why? Because there's a tabernacle in heaven that this tabernacle represents. Everything down here is representing something up there. And so why is that important? Because all of the sacrificial system, all of that was going to, be, was going to come into play to understand the new covenant. He's going to talk about in just a second about the, the holy of holies, the, the place where only one priest could go one time of year, and if there was any sin in his life, he's toast, and we drag him out and send in another. How'd you, how'd you like to be on that team, right? Like, you know, what happened to Billy? Well, um, he had some stuff going on, so apparently you're up next, Dave. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Let Alan go. He's only sacrificing a turtle dove. You know, I had the moose, right? So, <laughs> so the picture then is if you're not careful, you start li- you're still living out of this old understanding of how your relationship is supposed to work before God. He goes on. He said, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Talking about Jesus. He entered the most holy place once for all. You see how that keeps coming up? Once for all, he entered the holy place, right? Having obtained eternal redemption. Can you see the past tense? Having obtained. It is finished, right? It is done. It's in the past. Goes on for if if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Look at that phrase. This, This sacrifice that Jesus is making will cleanse your conscience from dead works. What are dead works? Anything that you're trying to do to get God to be pleased with you. Why? Because it's a dead work because you already have that in Christ. So, Quit it. <laughs> right? Stop doing that. So we have different priests. Again, there's just a few of these. Old covenant, it was, there was a high priest who would sacrifice once a year for the sins of the entire nation. But there were many priests who operated, you know, one priest from the, from the line of Aaron and the rest of them were all Levites, you know, part of the Levite tribe who took care of things. In the new covenant, there is one priest, his name is Jesus. And the, and the book of Hebrews goes to great uh, effect of telling us that he is superior to all the other priests. Who he, he offered something up to God for mankind. That's what a priest did. So Hebrews 7, 11, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, 
For under it, the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise? In other words, if this was working, why do we get, why do we get Jesus? We don't need Jesus. This is there. It goes on. It says, another one would rise according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's massive teaching about this poor dude in the Bible, Melchizedek, right? And so much of it is wrong. But here's a simple version. The order of Melch- there, again, there's tons of things we could talk about. But the order of Melchizedek, talking about Melchizedek as a priest, because he wasn't from Aaron and he wasn't from the Levites, something he was different. If you go back and look at Jesus, Jesus didn't come from that line of priests either. He came from a different tribe, right? So that's a, a, a way to connect the two. But the, the picture of the order of Melchizedek is one not depending on human ancestry. In other words, it's not in human effort at all. You, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't a Levite. He wasn't from the line of Aaron. Um, not depending on human ancestry, ancestry and one forever abiding. Melchizedek came out of nowhere and stayed there, <laughs> right? He just popped up in the book of Genesis to talk about, and this, this, this sim, symbol and this picture of how God was going to do a priesthood later on in the new covenant. So a different kind of priest. Um, he says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. He's not, a priest dies and then another priest replaces him. Maybe the first priest was good at prayer, the second priest not so much. But it goes on, he says, Jesus lives forever, and because of that, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, so because of that, he is able to, hear this, save completely. Another version says, save to the uttermost. The, the, the picture again is, is finished. See how that keeps coming up? He is permanent priesthood, therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. So it's, it's, it's not he saves everybody, universalism, everybody gets saved, everybody gets a car, look under your seat, their keys, right? It's none of that. <laughs> it's not the world's version of it. There is something you have to do, you have to come to him. Because he always, listen to this phrase, he always lives to intercede for them. So here's a problem. When you've been living out of a wrong mentality, so often you have put on glasses that you can't see any other way. It's, it's a lens, a perspective that you see through, that you see everything through that lens. You ever met somebody who loves football? Like, some of you guys are like, do, do you know what happened Saturday? It started, right? The holy time began on the calendar, right? So you, you meet somebody who loves football, anything you bring up is going to become about football. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Anything you bring up. It's like you could talk to him about fishing. You know, I was going to go fishing, but then football. Everything has become about football. And so this is what happens. We look through this lens, and it's the only thing we see. And so we look at this phrase, Jesus always lives to intercede for us. And we get this, which became a doctrine in the church, that Jesus now is praying to the Father that we might, Father, would you just, I mean, you know, I love Alan and Diane, and you know, even though it's a turtle dove still, but would you just have mercy on them? And he's always praying that the Father not judge you. He's interceding, he's standing in the gap on your behalf that the Father wouldn't judge you. Now, first of all, that's stupid, <laughs> right? Why is it so dumb? Think about it. Whose idea was it that Jesus come? Right? So it's like, okay, so in the Trinity, there's a conversation. And, and again, there's some mystery according to the Trinity. But, but it, Jesus says, I'll go. But the Bible says that the Father sent him. Will you go? Yes, I will go. So there's this connection. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit comes in and, and makes sure all this is happening by the, behind the scenes, so to speak. And, and he's the guarantee, the Bible says. So everybody's playing a part. 
But the mindset that somehow Jesus is having to pray for us, and then we take that a step further and say that the saints now, you have to pray to a saint because God's really angry. He like, he's so angry, you can't even talk to him. He's so mad, right? And, and so now you talk to Jesus, but you know, you're, you've offended Jesus too. I mean, how do you offend Jesus? Man, you're a horrible sinner. So I'll pray to one of the lesser saints and, and, and I'll go after that. And, and listen, that's, that's Catholicism, obviously, but Protestant, Protestants do the same thing. We just replace the saints with sorrow. Like I'll, I'll, I'll ask the Lord to talk to sorrow on my behalf and then he, he, sorrow can forgive me. See how it works? It's, just, it's subtle, but it works. So here's the thing. His very presence in heaven, is, I wrote it down. His very presence in heaven seated at God's right hand as the one who died for the human race and rose again is itself the intercession. See this concept, in other words, Jesus, Jesus sitting down at, at the right hand of the Father is, is you know, his, him being raised from the dead was an indication that the offer of the sacrifice was accepted. So he ever lives to make intercession really means because he is alive, the intercession is forever. From the moment he offered it, it is forever. It'll never go away. The intercession, because he lives, you have been interceded for. And it's there, and it's in heaven, and it's permanent. So, Lastly, a different focus. The old sin, I mean, the old covenant was focused on sin and missing the mark, on people and their sin, God's anger against their sin. You see this happen over and over again on man's unfaithfulness and on God's disfavor, on missing the mark, right? When you came to the temple, you didn't come happy. You came to bring a sacrifice. You were sad because God's the, the weight of God's disfavor was upon you. But in the new covenant, our focus is on God's love, his faithfulness, his favor, which is demonstrated by the risen son, by Jesus Christ in our life. Hebrews 7, 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. The old covenant was weak and useless, not because it was bad, but because of the people, it goes on to say later. Um, the law, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Because of what Jesus is, is doing on the cross, because of a better sacrifice, we can draw near to God. There is nothing now in the way of you coming into the presence of God. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers, I preached this at a funeral, almost got punched in the face. That's a true story. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is, this is 1 Corinthians. Do you not know this? And then he lists a few, not all of them, but he lists a few in case y'all missed it. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, uh, men who have sex with men, thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you not know that? Right? And so somewhere in our, our lizard brain, we go, well, I've done some of those, not some of those terrible ones, right? Because, you know, we always weigh it, and they're always worse than me, right? I'm no Jeffrey Dahmer. I ain't never ate nobody, right? I mean, that's, that's the mindset. That we, it's like always somebody worse than me, right? And so we go after that, but some of those, which meant if I did any one of those or anything the like, I am a wrongdoer. And he said, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're out, sorry. But then... Thank God, it goes on, and it says, and that is what some of you were, past tense. I love it when people come in and go, man, your church, is people are so friendly and so kind, you know, it's like, but I struggle with sin, as if none of us ever did that at DCF. Chief Center, right here, if you need to know, chief, right? 
I love when people go, Karen, you're so amazing and you're so sweet, such an awesome pastor's wife. You've never done anything wrong. Like, I've known her since the seventh grade. (laughs) I'm just saying, I've seen some stuff, okay? (laughs) And the point is, that was what some of us were. Look at this. I I preached a whole series one time called But. (laughs) God's But. I didn't say that, that, I didn't leave that in the title because it's too weird. But think about this word. He goes on, he says, nor thieves, nor greedy, all, and that's what some of you were, but something happened. You were that, but something happened. You were washed, past tense. You were sanctified, set aside, past tense. You were justified, just as if I'd never sinned because Jesus paid the price for your sin, past tense. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, right? You are no longer, if you are a believer this morning, you are no longer a wrongdoer. But what, Dave, I just this last week, I got mad on the road and said some things to a Hyundai that I shouldn't have said, right? <laughs> so are you a wrongdoer? So you have to pick one, whatever you think or what, what God says about you. Which one is true? What, what you think, what you've believed for a while, what somebody told you, what a well-meaning pastor told you, or what God declares to you to be true. You're going to have to pick one. You're going to have to pick whether what you think about yourself is true. Lord, if you just knew who I was, and God's like, I did know who you were. I actually invented you (laughs) because I love you and I want you. And sin was in the way, so I paid the price for your sin. So now what, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, you will be washed white as snow. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You have to pick one. You can be a sinner or you can be saved by grace, but you cannot be both. Well, if I'm saved, does that mean I never sin? No, of course you you can sin. But when you realize that you don't have to, you weren't made for sin, that that there's nothing that you can try to get, nothing that sin will offer you that you you don't already have from your heavenly father, the desire to sin begins to fade away because you look at the mercy and the kindness of God And you're like, Lord, I can't wait to be with you, even if I've sinned. So let me close with this. What was the first covenant in the Bible? Was it Adam? You know, it's like creation and then Adam, the covenant with Adam. Adam, you know, you got one thing. You had one thing to do, Adam, and you screwed it up. And Adam's like, well, it's because of the woman you gave me. And it's like, and you're making excuses too. Like, come on, man. (laughs) Like, you had one thing to do. That was the covenant conditioned on don't eat from that tree. Eat from all the others, not that one, right? Look at Revelation. So you go through the, the history of all the covenants, and you get to the book of Revelation, and at the very end, there's this, not quite at the end, but in the, in the book of Revelation 13, 8, it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, talking about the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life. So if your names aren't in God's book of life, then you're going to be connected. You're, you're, this is not going to go well for you. But it says, written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Another version says, from from before time began, a lamb was already slain. The decision to be the lamb that was slain happened before we ever even made Adam, before Adam could sin and blame it on his wife, (laughs) before we got to Moses, before we got to Abraham, before we got to David, before we got to the new covenant. And then the new covenant, as you study this out, you see that the new covenant is is the, the latest covenant in time, but because God doesn't have a problem with time, time lives inside of him, he doesn't live inside of it, that the new covenant was really the oldest covenant. It's the first covenant. And first things have to come first, 
right? So 1 Peter 1.18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Listen to this verse, verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. In other words, this whole journey has already occurred, but you're just now hearing about it. That's the good news. That's the gospel, right? He says, revealed in these last times for your sake, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. That's saying that his sacrifice was accepted. And so your faith and your hope are not in any of the sacrifices, it's in God, right? Um, Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit something that was prepared long before you were ever a son or a daughter, right? So what was God's original intent? God walking with Adam in the cool of the day, the Bible said. The, 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 the picture is he would visit them daily. He would visit them daily and he would talk with them and he would connect with them. And then it's reiterated after the old covenant is given in Jeremiah 31 where the first promise of the new covenant has come from the old covenant. Jeremiah 31 says, I will be your God and you will be my people. In other words, I can walk with you again in the cool of the day. I can just be with you and you can be with me. And everything that keeps you from being with me is now completely taken out of the picture because of the sacrifice of Jesus, right? But you have to decide what you're going to do with this information. Something to know that I've been talking about, and now something you must make a decision about what you're going to do with it. Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, Let's be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of the rest. There's a rest for the people of God, it says. There remains, Hebrew 4, 9 uh, through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Symbolic. Sabbath is symbolic, of course, but it, it, it just talks about rest. Rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. What does it mean? You, you've been, the dead works are dead now. You don't have to keep doing something to get God to love you. It turns out he already does. It's good news, right? Then it goes on, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, because of that, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Make every effort. Another version says, strive to enter his rest, which is, of course, a play on words. In other words, to, the thing that you're striving for is to get God to love you. no. He already did. I'm striving to get God to forgive me. No, he already has. What are you striving for as a believer? What's, what is it you're really building towards as a believer? I gotta do great things for Jesus. I gotta preach to the whole world. No, all those things come from the place of rest. It comes from a place of trust and obedience. Why? Because you come into the place that says that you are fully, fully forgiven. You are fully known. You are fully loved. You are fully honored. You are blessed. His favor is upon you. Nothing stands in the way of you and your heavenly father except that thing in your brain where you believe you don't have it. So you have to make a decision what you're going to do. You have to strive. There's a work involved in studying and understanding and getting the gospel, right? Is it really true? Because it seems too good to be true news. But if you get it, something changes. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And in Hebrews 10, 19, 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. See how it's all tying together. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Remember the story when Jesus is dying on the cross. There's a curtain between the holiest of holies and the holy place, right? It's the place where man can't come in because God's there. And you have to be perfect without sin. And there's one guy one time a year that actually can go in. And even that might not go well for him, right? <laughs> so that is separated by a curtain. The Bible doesn't say it, but... but uh, History tells us that that curtain was potentially anywhere from two inches to a foot thick. Woven curtain, as it were, right? And it covered the holy place, and it had to cover the holy place to keep people from accidentally going in. Priests would walk 10 feet away from the curtain so they didn't actually accidentally stumble and fall into it. And then the concept is, well, we should make it really thick. So even if you do stumble and fall into it, you won't fall into it and be killed. So it's a super thick curtain, right? On the day of Pentecost, at the time the lamb was being, the, the, the perfect spotless lamb was being symbolically slain. Jesus dies on the cross. The Bible says he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he, no one takes his life. He gives it away. He gives up his ghost. And the Bible said in that moment, at the same time that the lamb was being slain, the lamb was being killed sacrificially in the temple made by hands, something happened to that curtain. That curtain ripped from the top to the bottom, and it opened from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. It's important. Why? God's symbolically saying, I am peeling back what kept us apart. I'm taking this away. This is no longer in the way. What was the veil symbolically? And Hebrews said it. Listen to it again. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. Jesus dying on that cross was the curtain that was ripped open from heaven to earth, symboli symbolically saying there is now no separation. You can come to me through that curtain, through Jesus and him alone. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest, remember that, a new priest, over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Because of all this, we can come close to God, right? Draw near to God with a sincere heart, and listen, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Do you have this morning a guilty conscience? Because if you're a believer and you have a guilty conscience, you need to fix that. You know how you fix that? Jesus has to die again. No, of course not. You have to believe by faith. Did Jesus pay for that sin too? Because if he did, why are you even talking to him about it? Now, don't get me wrong. What has to happen is, and, and this is what I'm ending with, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with this truth. Listen to the rest of it. Cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You know who's not faithful? You. That's what the Bible says about the law. I don't have time to get into it. I'm already over time. This is what the Bible said about the law. It, the law was weak and, and didn't work, not because of God or even because of the law. The law is perfect and is good. Why couldn't it work? Because the people couldn't live up to the standard. So God says, I will pay the price, and the standard will be taken care of. And here's why this is so powerful. Hebrews 4.16, last verse. Let us then, after all these things we understand about Jesus, let us then approach God's throne of judgment. Is that what it says? 
No. It was, right? And such were some of you. And if you stayed there and didn't receive the sacrifice that Jesus made, all the judgment is on you. Not because God wants it to be, but because you were unwilling to let Jesus pay the price for your sin. But if you are, let us then approach God's throne of grace. How? With confidence. Are you kidding me? Who comes into the throne of heaven and the throne of God with confidence? You can. His son, his daughter, because his other son has paid the price, all the things that kept you from being able to come in with confidence before God. All of that's been taken away because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's finished. Listen to the last of it. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let me just end it this way. If you believe this about this new covenant, this, the, the first covenant being the original one that we are now seeing worked out in what Jesus did 2,000 years on the cross, but now you are the benefactor of a covenant that you didn't make. The Bible goes on and on about this in Hebrews, that the covenant was made between Jesus and God, the Father. Between God and God. The Father makes a covenant to himself, and you become the benefactor. Abram, when he was, when he was Abraham, eventually the covenant comes to Abraham, was a picture of this new covenant in the same way God, he calls Abraham to sacrifice these animals. He breaks them apart and he puts them, he, you know, he lays them out and there's a blood trail through the middle. And, and then the idea is in that old covenant that everybody would walk through it, symbolizing that if you broke the covenant, the blood of these animals, the, what happened to them will happen to you, right? Judgment will come upon you if you break the covenant. So Abram understands this. He goes through the whole process. And the Bible says right as he finishes this, a deep sleep, God caused a deep sleep to come on him. And he sees these things supernaturally. And he recognizes through this whole process, God comes and symbolically walks through the blood himself. But Abraham never does. Never. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of this new covenant. Why? Because God's saying, I will shed the blood that you, should, you actually would be guilty of. But because I'm going to do it, everything's finished. All you have to do is believe that that is true. And so the Bible says, so Abram, Abraham believed God and what? It was accounted to him as righteousness. What did he believe? That God had paid the price and there was nothing for him to do except for him to say yes to what the Lord has done. So let me ask you this. What happens when you sin? Here's a really good indicator, a test if you will of whether you understand the new covenant. What happens when you sin as a believer? What do you do? Do you go back into the old covenant and you try to, you know, you know I'll deal with God, I'll, I'll, I'll work with him, we'll talk, I'll, I'll tell him how sorry, if he actually can see how sorry I am. So I'll, 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 I'll offer the sacrifice of, of sorrow and deep, deep sorrow, way deeper than the last time. I'm gonna do this. Is that what you do? And in the meantime, in your head, God has turned his face away from you because you sinned and he can't be in the presence of sin right? Y'all understand all these stories. Begin to teach you that if you sin as a believer, that God turns his face away from you. And if we're honest, if you keep doing that, at some point, God's going to remove his blessing from you, his favor, all those things, and you are going to now suffer judgment because you have violated this law, and you, you get it, right? But what if you, you sinned and you said, you really believe that God had forgiven you even for that sin, even for the one that you might do tomorrow because there's a pattern that's going on in your head? What if you could come to the Lord and understand that his grace has been given 
so that everything that, that, everything that was needed to pay for that sin has already been done. So that's a non-issue now for you. Now you say, God, I keep doing this, but it's not who I am. I have a new nature and a new heart. I, I don't understand why I keep into the same path. Why do I keep sabotaging relationships? God, why can't I trust people? God, why can't, you know, why is I, I get so angry when I'm driving? What is, what is this thing that's happening to me? Why do I keep following, falling into sexual sin? Why do I think nobody cares about me, that, that I can never be a part of community? All these things, why, why do I think that I have no worth or no value, that people don't love me? Why is it I keep using that to sabotage relationships or getting involved in a relationship with the wrong kind of people who will never give me that anyway? Why do I keep doing that, Lord? And then the Lord can say, it's got nothing to do with that. That's been taken care of. But I would like to talk to you about this. You can obtain help, obtain mercy. When? When you don't need it? <laughs> you need, when you are in need of help, he brings it. You can get it every single time. Then you begin to live in that mindset. mindset and guess what begins to happen? You become what the Bible says, your mind begins to be transformed. Why? You repent. You take on a new mind and you begin to think like God. You begin to think like your heavenly father. You begin to, begin to be like your brother Jesus, right? And you begin to walk in all the fullness and the kindness and the goodness of God. And all of the sin, all of that, has been absorbed in Jesus once for all. The question is, do you really believe that? And if so, what are you doing about it? Is it changing you? Is it growing you? And if it's not, you might find yourself living under the wrong covenant. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and pray for us? I apologize for going a bit long. I try to build foundations as much as I can so when we get to the point, it really, really comes home and you find out it wasn't my idea, but it was actually in Scripture the whole time. That's my passion. Um, but I, I just want to pray for us. If we ever get this, it changes everything about how we relate to God, but also about who we are. I begin to see myself not as somebody that God has to tolerate, but I begin to see, some, see myself as someone that God delights in. And that's not a small thing. That's a really, really big deal. It changes the way I treat myself, then it begins to change the way I treat others, and then it changes the way I think about this whole life in general. It changes everything. And that's the idea, to be transformed. The Bible talks about going from glory to glory. An ever-increasing kingdom, the Bible talks about. An ever-increasing covenant is available to us in Jesus. But you have to receive it his way. You can't do it yours. So Jesus, thank you for paying the price, Lord, that we couldn't pay. Thank you, Jesus, that um, we don't have to offer anything up, Lord. We don't have to offer another sacrifice because you sufficiently paid it all. There is nothing else we can add. It is Jesus and nothing else. So, Lord, we just receive that great truth in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, I pray as we go into this week that, Lord, this revelation would get to the heart of the matter. And, Lord, we would literally begin to live lives full of joy because our sins have been forgiven. And there is help for us in your throne of grace, Lord, when we need it. You are available. You love us and you want to pour your goodness and your life into us. We want to receive it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be up here. We'd love to minister to you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.